Hey, Mark. Hey, Katie. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Unforget Yourself Show, where we use the power of woo and the proof of science to help you identify your blind spots, get over your own bullshit, <gasps> so that you can do the fucking thing you actually want to do. Absolutely. I'm Mark. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of Unforget Yourself and the creators of the Unforget Yourself system. Look, being a business owner is tough. Yeah. With vulnerability and with humor, mm-hmm. we'll be sharing with you the real stories behind the success of those brave and crazy enough to start their own business and to show you that you're not alone. You're not. Well, from the accidental entrepreneur to the laser-focused CEO, we have honest conversations about how they got to where they are today. We talk about the challenges that they faced and what they're currently dealing with in real time on their roller coaster journey. Along the way, we want to show you that it's, it's you. You are the most important asset in your business. Yeah, you are. So let's cut the bullshit and start the show. Enjoy. Oh, hey, welcome, everyone, and welcome to the show. So today we have with us Zach A. Knight, founder of Be a Tactical Leader. So after the last six years, Zach has used his experience from his law enforcement and military experience to focus on helping entrepreneurs grow their business through masterminds, coaching, consulting, podcasting, and now you're an author. Hey, Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, man, good to be here. I appreciate you having me. Lovely. So, hey, can you just expand on that and tell us a bit about you know, who you serve, the kind of business you have, and you know, what's going on? Yeah, so overall, I uh, just opened up business number seven about two months ago. Um, really focused on that small business space, the entrepreneur um, 30 employees or less, but mostly that solopreneur, that side hustle person that wants to change the game for themselves, break into their own space and uh, break away from a nine to five and start their own side hustle into a full business. I really love doing that piece of everything with uh, business owners and launching and growing. Uh, and overall, like you mentioned, an author now, um, it was a labor of love trying to get the book out there, but finally got it released about a month, month and a half ago or so. Congratulations. That must be awesome. Uh, it's awesome to be done with it. it uh, you know, having to read your own book 18 times just to go through the edits and the reviews. And I'm definitely not an English major and I missed too much punctuation. So there's a lot, there's a lot of editing. <laughs> uh, I feel bad for my publisher, but yeah, finally got it out there, man. Nice. Hey, what's your book called? It's called The Legacy of Love, A Journey of Self-Mastery. Nice. And is that your story, what you've been through and all the things you've sort of overcome and challenges? Yeah, it really highlights... Um, my time leaving the military, I got injured, uh, have a little bit of nerve damage in my left arm um, and the uniform is getting torn from me. So you can actually see behind my shoulder. I have a, uh, the cover of my book is actually a photo I took in Afghanistan. Um, this is like the nugget that people don't know about because it's not in the book anywhere, but it's the cover of Afghanistan with a, a heart and the American flag is the heart with a tear through it because uh, essentially that got torn from me uh, when I got injured and it put me in a, a spiral uh, losing a uniform after 15 years of being in some form of uniform and mm-hmm. uh, it put me in a dark spot where I was on the end of a dock, pistol in my mouth, ready to become another statistic that uh, the 22 a day uh, that the military really face. And uh, it really starts at that point about 18, 19 months ago and moves forward where my recovery, the lessons I brought back from things I learned before that I started applying finally and really that introspective mm. view of what I needed. Nice. So, that is a one hell of a journey that you've been through. So you're able to pull all these experiences of your your lowest lows, your experience in all these different um, organizations, and really hone this into the business owner. 
into helping them grow their business, but grow themselves personally? Yeah. And, and what I, one of the things I realized, man, after being over there um, and being in combat, uh, when I deployed, I deployed the Green Berets and we ran combat operations every four days back. And this was just 2019 that I was over there. So it's not that long ago, uh, right before the withdrawal of everything that happened. And mm. uh, what I learned over there, the problems we face over here are not that bad. And all of a sudden, man, uh, a lot of the issues that people freak out about it. myself as a business owner there are days where it's like oh man all this is happening crap i gotta fix and put out this fire it's really not that bad just take a deep breath and work through it and a lot of it you know starts being highlighted mm -hmm. how do you if you can have that deep breath like i take a step back take a tactical pause and then uh -huh. look at let's solve this problem you know that i mean we when we coach clients it's all about perspective that's a huge mm -hmm. part of what we help people to reframe overcome it sounds like from your from your experience, there's such a gulf in perspective there. There's such a gulf in realizations that was that a tough thing for you to to come to terms of to see from you know, the challenges that you faced on in, in war zone to business challenges which feel like life or death to people, but you're like, no, it's not. It really isn't. I've seen that. Yeah, man, it, it's so crazy to me because when I was writing this book, my editor, who she's a she's a client of mine, I helped her launch her publishing company. She's known me for a year before the book um, and knows about my businesses and everything. And when I started writing the book and she started editing it, she said she read it, was in tears reading it the whole time because she had no idea attached to it. And I'm just talking about like everyday things that happen. And she's like, these things are extraordinary. Like, but because they're so extraordinary, I'm like, this is everyday life. This is like every veteran, you know, the Navy SEALs get the highlight and they're the highlight reels. The Green Berets get the highlight reels. But every dang veteran that has gone over and served in that capacity has gone through similar things. So for us, it's just a day in the life for her is extraordinary. Right. Mm -hmm. So that perspective shift, she's like, hey, you have to make this more relatable to the person that's never gone through those experiences. But recognize like what you've done is actually extraordinary. Don't take away from the things you've lived through. So that perspective shift, even just recently, um, one of the best perspective shifts, um, and it focuses on the mindset piece of it all, um, was actually my therapist. When I started therapy, um, you know, we get in these dark holes as entrepreneurs, as human beings, and you get in this dark hole and you don't want to do anything about it. You just want to sit in a dark hole and kind of wallow in that self-pity at times, mm -hmm. right? And uh, my therapist was talking to me about it. He's like, I'm going to paint a picture for you. And I encourage everybody to visualize this because this, this is like earth shattering to me. Is like when you're sitting in this dark hole and all of a sudden you start looking around, you start feeling around, you reach over, you grab a shovel. What do you do with the shovel? Naturally, especially as entrepreneurs, we start using the shovel to dig our way out. We are problem solvers. You have a tool, use it. So you start digging yourself out. He's like, how would you dig out? I'm like, oh, I'll dig steps into the side of this hole and dig and, you know, climb out of it. He's like, all right, you do that. You collapse. Now the dirt's ankle deep. What do you do now? We'll figure out a different way. So we went through this process three or four, five, 20 times. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it this way to get out of my hole. Every time it, it would collapse. And he's like, now you're in over your head, right? That quicksand effect where you, you're just overwhelmed. Now you can't do anything and everything you do just keeps failing. He's like, do you feel like that? And I'm like, I don't. I truly, that did not correlate with me because every time I try to get out of my dark mindset, I am, I'm able to for, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it may be, I might end up back in the hole, but I'm able to get it out my, get out of that mindset myself. A lot of people aren't, a lot of people do correlate with that. And he, he reframed it as like, okay, so when you get out of your hole and you're standing at, at the top of your hole in the light, you look around, what do you see? 
is the world full of other holes and people in those holes? I'm like, absolutely. Like, I, of course, everybody's struggling with something. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you do? Like, well, I jump in the hole and teach somebody how to get out of the hole like I just did, right? He's like, what if, and this was the beautiful reframing, uh, my why for so long was helping those who can't or won't help mm-hmm. themselves. The won't being that catch point, right? He's like, so when they're in their hole and, and you're like, hey, come on, let's go. Let's get out of this dark space. And they don't move. What do you do? I'm like, well, I sit there and I wait. And what shook me was not two two months before, two weeks before, not long before that. I was in a relationship with somebody and she was going through some dark stuff. And I literally uttered the phrase, I don't care how long it takes. I'll sit here in this dark hole with you until you're ready to get out. And that was such a self-deprecating, like toxic mindset. He's like, if you were the person that jumps in somebody else's hole, makes somebody else's problems, your problems every single time, well, guess what? You're just going to keep burying yourself over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. And he's like, that was a shift in perspective for me of stop making all these big monstrosity problems, your problem to deal with. Recognize what is it that you need to carry, get strong enough to carry that weight, put that hand back to help somebody. But if they're unwilling to take that action, if they can't take it because they don't know that they don't know how, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But if they won't, if they refuse to take it, the old adage, you can lead the horse to water, but can't make them drink. Same thing. Don't force your help on somebody. And that was such a, a weight lifting off my shoulders when he reframed that perspective for me attached to always being that servant, right? Always wanting to help yeah. serve leadership. Because that is... That statement is such a heroic thing that we think. It's like, I want to help people. How many people get into business, no matter what line of business? Because we just want to help people. But I think Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer, said this beautifully, that that's too much responsibility for your work, for your project, for your business, for you. It's not fair to put that amount of strain on it. Um, People who can't help themselves, it's... You turn into a martyr to try, and but it comes and for the whole forgiveness piece. This comes from a good place, right? It comes from a place of want to help, but we get lost along the way. And I mean, that's the big thing. Like helping somebody is phenomenal. Servant leadership is phenomenal, Mm. but you have to recognize what that extent is. You're giving somebody the opportunity to help, to be helped, right? But that's an opportunity they have to take action on. And it's a crazy thing. The the old school, everybody thinks about karma. I always think about, uh, really, it fascinates me how karma works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the 12 laws of karma and how everything works. Everybody thinks um, if you do terrible things, terrible things are going to happen to you. You put good out there. Karma is going to come back and do good for you. But if you actually look up the definition of karma, karma does not mean the first, that's the first law of karma. You put out good, you get good back. You put out bad, you get bad back. Karma is actually translated in Sanskrit to action. What action you put out in the world is the action that you will receive back. Not good or bad, not good and evil. It's what action you're putting. So if you're putting out uh, laziness, you're going to get laziness back. It, it goes into, you get what you, you get, what you put into it, you get back what you put into something. So if you get into a coaching program, but you don't put anything into it, you're not getting anything out of it. Right. 
So that that really fascinated me when I started learning more about some of the definitions of karma. To what level are we creating our own karma? To what level do we create the own action that we're getting back in the world? And when you're stuck on a client that isn't willing to help themselves because they're not willing to take that action and you're burying your business because you're almost like perversely loyal to helping one mm. person that absolutely needs that help but doesn't want the help and you tank your business. Can't tell you how many times I'm guilty of that. I think we're all you know, guilty how- of that. How hard was that when you do have clients that you realize they're not following the instructions, not doing the steps that you know could help them, mm-hmm. and it's frustrating? Did, was there a moment where you realized, ah, damn it, yeah, I, I, I need to fire my client because it's it's taking your time away from other clients who want your help, who will use it and then do more good, but also the energy and brain space in, that, I guess, your that. downtime, right? Uh, that's the bad part is the, the, the brain space, the energy, it, it, it drains you. And I've had clients that, <laughs> man, when I tell you, they drain you, like you dread getting on the call and yeah. then you, you dread getting into that meeting with them. And then when you leave, you just like, you fall out because it's like, well, that accomplished nothing. I, I had a client that <laughs> uh, would show up. It was on zoom during the COVID time and she, uh, she would show up drunk like hardcore drunk, like passed out drunk one time on the call. I'm Mm. like, why am I sitting here helping this person that obviously does not want this help? It became so frustrating and it's a hard thing to learn. But like at the end of the day, you have to realize there's a dichotomy. Uh, Jocko Willink wrote the book, Dichotomy of Leadership. The dichotomy of leadership is that, yes, you take extreme ownership. You take ownership of your actions and the actions of what you can control, but you also have to maintain accountability. So maintaining accountability of a client that has agreed to do something as a part of the engagement, you mm-hmm. have, it's not that you're being mean when you call them out. Hey, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. I can't do if you won't do, right? To me, it becomes a dichotomy of leading a client through an experience or an exercise. They have to have that accountability. Otherwise, everybody fails. And as a, as a coach, right, as fellow coach, that's a really bad thing to do when everybody fails around you because then nobody's winning. And that's not what we want in the world. So, I mean, this is sort of, we've gone off on a tangent towards like client management, which is awesome to talk about because we're talking about the challenges of being a business owner. It's not just, you know, the the emotional challenges that we go through or the thoughts that we have. It's also how to manage other people. It's how to manage their spirals, their challenges, where they're at. But I think it's our responsibility to understand where they are and why they're going through what they're going through. Do you do you see like warning signs, like little telltale signs that either, uh oh, this might happen. I can see this building. At what point do you realize it? Man, um, you know, it's different. And I think when when you look at building a brand, you look at building a business, and you look at your ideal client, generally speaking, generally speaking, I've seen this to be true more times than not, your ideal client is you going through something you've already been through. They're attracted to your experience, right? They're attracted to accomplishing what you've already succeeded in. And yeah, there are warning signs every damn time. But then you, when you think about it, and it's really a psychological impact where you're unconsciously thinking it's an unconscious, unconscious bias of wanting to protect somebody from going through the struggle you went through, right? Mm. And you start doing that. So it almost becomes like a sympathetic reaction attached to, oh no, I don't want you to feel the pain I felt. So you kind of hold in onto it and then it blinds you from the red flag that's actually there because you have so much because you got through it. So you create a hope for this person. Oh, I hope this person's really going to do great because I see the potential. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden, man, like seeing potential in somebody can be, it can be great, but there has to be a level of uh, a dose of reality attached to it. Love them where they're at. Right. Sometimes you have to leave them where they're at, but you always love them where they're at. And that's the hard part. If they're not making movement, Mm -hmm. you got to leave them where they're at, love them and be there for them when they're ready. But sometimes you recognize like they're not making movement and you can't force them to move. Yeah. One of the things you said there, I don't want them to feel the pain. Now, I know that that's one of the biggest um, challenges that Katie and myself had to go through. Once we started with our business, we found that that empathetic side that we want to make sure our prospects or our clients don't feel the pain when really they need to, we need to feel our pain. We need to understand it. We need to discover what's going on so that we can move forward. But everything around us in this world that I found is set up to numb the pain, go into avoidance, go into denial, rather than actually sit in that uncomfortable place Mm -hmm. where that's where the magic happens. Did you go through that as well, where it was was hard (laughs) to make people feel that? Oh man, no, I, it was hard for me to feel that. And this is where I can correlate with, with clients, with people around me. Um, one thing that again, my therapist guy, I love therapy. It it saved me in so many ways, but it helped give me that perspective shift we're talking about. One thing my therapist worked, helped me work through, um, was veterans. When we come back from war, everybody stereotypes of veterans having PTSD. And it's all that reactionary PTSD, a car backfires or something, you know, a firework goes mm-hmm. off and you react. And I never understood that. And I thought, I, I didn't think it was a crock of shit, but I just didn't understand it prior to war. But the best way is the sensory management and the frontal cortex, whatever that sciencey stuff is. There's a, a ingrained piece of your mind that is uh, uncontrollable. It's like the, just, the, it's a reflex, right? When you smell fresh cut grass, it reminds me of when I used to cut the grass in my parents' house as a teenager growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what people know as PTSD. What he shifted it to, there's actually 22, 23 different segments of PTSD. One of them is uh, called avoidance, PTSD avoidance. And when he started talking about it, I'm like, it's not avoidance, it's compartmentalization. In the military, in the police world, we were taught if something happens, you compartmentalize it, you put it in the closet, and you move on. In war, if your battle buddy gets shot and is bleeding out, you step over him and you continue the mission. Mm -hmm. Sounds awful, but in reality, if you stop to help them, you're probably going to get shot too. When If an airplane starts going down, you put your oxygen mask on first, and then you help other people around you, right? So the big piece was for that avoiding that feeling. I didn't want to feel uncomfortable. So you compartmentalize and you put it away. Mm -hmm. You lock the skeleton in the closet. One of my biggest spiral points was uh, I did never lived alone um, until I went through this training program. Um, I was 32, 32 years old, had never lived alone in my life, either had a roommate, a girlfriend, a wife, uh, parents, never lived alone in my life until I was 32. And when it was by myself sitting in the dark and it got real freaking quiet, got real freaking loud at the same time. And the skeleton started scratching at the door and then the mm-hmm. door opened and that volcano erupted. All those things I compartmentalized for years, the guilt, the survivor's guilt, the leader's guilt, all these things that I went through, all these emotions I never dealt with exploded. Mm-hmm. And that is like the scariest piece of it. If you keep compartmentalizing and refusing to feel the feelings, refu- refusing to feel that pain, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just suppressed until it's not. 
And when it's not, and that volcano explodes, all of a sudden, you're in a really bad state of mind, which is where I ended up on the end of a dock with a pistol in my mouth. Those emotions started exploding. The only thing that saved my life was I sent a text message to my ex-wife. I said, don't worry about me anymore. You're going to be set for life because I knew my life insurance was going to cover her for life. She sent back, the cops are on the way, don't you dare. And for the next six hours, I ran away from the cops. The guy that used to be a cop just a couple of years before was hiding in bushes for six hours to not get hauled off to the loony bin, if you will, right? Mm. It's dramatic, but at the end of the day, like that's literally what happened. For six hours, I ran from apartment building to apartment building. And the thing that saved my life is I got angry. I blamed her for that. Not my own actions, right? Living, uh, I was really living at cause versus at effect, right? There's a different dichotomy there. And I'm like, a lot of people look at COVID, you know, living at effect. Oh, this happened to me. Oh, woe is me. And that response, the cops getting called on me to save my life, essentially. Like, why is this happening to me? And I blamed her and all my anger and rage went into her in that text message. And it kept me alive. It's crazy to think about that. But when I started encapsulating all these things at the end of the day was I wasn't sitting in the pain until my therapist helped me work through, sit through these emotions, feel them, but Mm. then take action to get out of them. Dude, that's incredible. And I know everyone is listening to this thinking, wow, this is this is kind of next level stuff that you 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 hear about every now and again. But I want to I want to take this and I want to just shift it into the, the the business owners mindsets. What you've described there, hopefully not many people will be going through. But we all go through that to a certain degree. The avoidance of the things that we we can't look at, we can't do, we can't say, the trigger, the reactions that we do rather than responding, the the blame, the complaining, the justifying our situations, and then back to avoiding. That cycle is, I think, what you've just eloquently described in a horrendous situation where it gets to you know, gas mark 10. We're probably all gas mark three, four, but we're going through this and that is our limit from a business owner. So I I was going to say to really even put an emphasis on what you're talking about, I I truly believe I, I hope nobody feels those feelings and goes through what I went through to that capacity by any means. What's amazing about it is that was March of 2021. In March of 2020, I launched a few companies. Um, three of those companies, uh, along with another one of my companies, so four companies, I scaled to 155 countries in eight months. At the time of everything I just described, I had just turned down an eight-figure deal from NBC. Um, I had these companies that were just exploding in 2021. I was active duty military at that point, so I was doing active duty military. Had just finished my MBA. Um, had several other credentials, had these seven or six at this time, six companies, and just turned down eight figures. Brother, let me tell you, going from a beat cop making $40,000 a year to turning down eight figures, it, it just it, it wouldn't even compute in my mind. So on paper, when all of this is happening, all these things I'm feeling, absolutely hating myself and hating life, on paper, I was massively successful. Nobody could look at me and say, yeah, you suck in life, Right. But nobody saw what was happening 
every night. Nobody saw the bottle of bourbon I was in, right? Nobody saw how much the people around me hated me. And they didn't. I thought they did, right? But I isolated myself. I wanted essentially to feel alone. I wanted to push people away from me. I didn't want people to see this demise I was going through essentially, right? I didn't want people to know that side of me. So it almost turned into like a level of embarrassment as well. The pride, the ego, oh, you're not going to see me like this, the lack of vulnerability. And we talk mm. a lot about vulnerability. A lot of people, when I right when I got back from Afghanistan, before I started processing a lot of these things, I would get on podcasts, I'll get on my podcast, I'll get on stage, and I'll talk about the operations. And, and there's a, a an operation that one day will be in a history book somewhere. Um, and I was the one that planned the operation for it. And I lost a few soldiers attached to it, a couple Green Berets. Um, and I had such a level of guilt attached to that, right? I had such a survivor's guilt, leader's guilt, so many things mm. that I was suffering through. I was, I was struggling through. And it, it's amazing to kind of look at, I would, could talk about those missions. I could talk about those feelings and people thought that was vulnerability. Like, oh, you're being so vulnerable, able to talk about war and combat and losing men. I'm like, today I can look at it like that wasn't being vulnerable. That was the surface level stuff that led to the real issue. The real issue is being on the end of the dock, right? The real issue is hating myself. The real issue is I was bulimic for a year and a half. The, those are the real issues. The fallout from the thing that the, the, the catalyst point for me, was combat, right? The catalyst point of my downfall was combat, the fallout and talking about all these terrible things that I went through because my mind was so screwed up. That's the true vulnerability. So when people say, oh, you're so vulnerable, you're so authentic. For a long time, I was a fraud. I just talked about the surface level stuff. Now, writing my book about this whole process of things that I went through, that's where it's like, okay, now I'm really, truly being as vulnerable as I possibly can. But you're going to know every, the intro is about 25 pages and it talks about every ounce of this. Uh, the divorces, yeah. twice divorce. It talks about how terrible I was in those relationships. Like, I, I laid out on the table I'm like, and this is what it led to. Right. And I go into the book talking about this lesson happened here. This is how I now look back at it. This is the, mm -hmm. the lesson I took from it. I'm applying now. Um, and, and it's really just fascinates me again, all, all about perspective, you know, successful business owner on the outside and hated myself on the inside. So with, again, you, you've, there's so many lessons that you could sort of leave us with as a sort of parting gift to, bring it back down to the business owner maybe we talk about you know the masculine business owners who maybe can't seek help maybe can't share their vulnerability as they're going through the perceived success or growth of their business what's the the one thing that you would like to you know share that may help people to be able to manage and care for themselves and be more authentic rather than just hide behind, I can't show the world, look at what I'm creating. It's too, it, it's too delicate. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me, and this is a difficult exercise, but it was really the one that, you know, the end of a doc pistol in my mouth, people think that's rock bottom. Rock bottom was truly about two weeks later when I moved back to Atlanta. I just was sleeping on a guy's sofa because I didn't have a home to go to anymore. And he looked at me and he's like, you don't love yourself anymore. And I laughed in his face. I'm like, bro, I love me some me. And I, like laughed it off because that was like a phrase in, in the military and police world. Oh, I love me some me. 
He's like, bullshit. Excuse the language. He's like, bull crap. Like, go upstairs, look in the mirror, and tell yourself you love yourself. And it was that look in the mirror that had the realization. That was my rock bottom point. I went upstairs, done, too easy, challenge accepted. Looked in the mirror and said, I love, and then had a two-hour anxiety attack, balled up in the floor, and literally just cried for hours because I could not tell myself. The one person you should be able to say that to is yourself. I would challenge people to find that love for themselves. Find that piece of it. Go look in the mirror. And if you feel really uncomfortable, if you can't tell yourself you love yourself, start there. Figure out the things that you can start loving about yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, it's going to be really hard for other people to love you. And that applies to your personal relationships. That applies to business relationships. If you can start there and spread that love outward, it's going to shift the dynamic across everything for you. Zach, awesome. Love that. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for your time. This has been, it's been an awesome conversation. We went deep. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Um, man, there's so many things we can talk about. I'd love to have you back on another time to really go through another avenue, another sort of rabbit hole. Um, really appreciate it. Love it. I appreciate you, my friend. Um, if people want to sort of learn a bit more about you um, and know where to find you and your book, yep. where can they find you? Yeah, man. So you can go to ZachAnight.com. There's an excerpt on the book there that you can download. Um, you can find me, Zach A. Knight, across all social media. Uh, my podcast, you can literally find me across everything, Zach A. Knight. Make sure the A's in there because, as we talked about, I'm not an indie star. If you just search Zach Knight, then I'm not a beautiful headed beautiful hair of a uh, head of hair indie star. Um, but yeah, I, I really say I would encourage everybody to go to ZachAnight.com, download that, that excerpt because that's my intro. That's the true pieces of all this story. And I think that will really highlight a lot of this piece of it. Hey man. Awesome. I'll be checking out too. Thank you so much. Thanks brother. Hey, Katie. Yeah, Mark? Want to do an outro? I sure do. Sweet. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening and making it to the end. Yay, you. So what happens next? Uh, we ask them the things that podcasters are supposed to ask at the end of an episode. Can you please rate, review, download? Subscribe. Mm. Yeah. But why is it important? Because that's how our podcast gets noticed. That's how people find us. It is, and we want all their earballs. <laughs> all the earballs all over the place. We do. Nice. Yeah, so please do all those things. We'll be ever so grateful. And then more people hear your beautiful voice. Or yours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.